the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week I'm usually joined here by the Crack Broadcast team. But we're kicking it old school this week, a reunion of sorts. Haven't done a, a duo podcast together since I think February or March, and welcoming him into New Generation Declassified for the first time, the one and only Mr. JP Jampas. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, it's uh, wonderful to have you cross uh, part of the, 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 the feed, just cross over one day uh, into New Generation Declassified. Again, some sort of reunion, obviously, earlier this year with the pandemic uh, kind of taking over lives. Things changed a lot. But uh, one thing that remains the same, the TMPT dominating the podcast world uh, and doing it one more time, talking about one of your favorite subjects of all time. And this is one I've been uh, kind of sitting on for a while because uh, there's only one person who can talk about this guy. And we're going to talk about Ludwig Borga and his impact on the new generation today. Love Ludwig Borga. feel like perhaps underrated. And I don't know if people will agree or disagree with that, but I think very underrated and a great part of that era that I wish had a longer run. So weird when you realize how short it was. Uh, and again, on New Generation Declassified, we're not here to reinvent the wheel. We're not here to tell you stuff that's not already out there, but we give you that take of being a fan at the time and kind of looking back at that era and seeing Maybe where things went wrong, maybe where things should have gone in a different direction. But Ludwig Borga literally could have biggest question mark on him because a guy who literally came in out of nowhere, dominated, was all but prepped and set for a huge main event run with Lex Luger. You know, the guy he cut promos on for six months and wrestled basically for six months uh, to then it never happened to materialize on television. Uh, crazy enough. But we're going to get into that in a couple of minutes. Let's talk about the new generation first and kind of your feelings looking back on it. Obviously, that's kind of falling into more of our heyday as like, you know, not adolescent fans, but more experienced fans. So these years, although lean in wrestling, for us, it was kind of a coming of age for us. So when you look back at the new generation, where you at with the whole entire uh, the roster, the, the the shows, the events, and everything that had to do with it? I feel like it definitely is an underrated era. I feel like a lot of people kind of skip over it after the golden era and then the attitude era. It's definitely one of those forgotten eras in wrestling, but really, obviously, it needed to happen. And I feel like after the Hogan golden era, it's one of those things where it's like impossible to kind of fill his shoes and kind of you know, reinvent that whole thing. Cause it's like, how do you go from the best ever top of the line, making money, drawing huge houses everywhere you go, this guy's a mainstream star and then go to the next 
level after that. It's almost like it, there's only one way to go, and that's kind of down, and you're really not going to be making as much money probably as, as Hogan or drawing as well as Hogan. So I feel like anybody that's going to be after him is going to be looked down upon. So that's why people are like, oh, Brett wasn't a great draw. Well, compare it to who? If you compare him to Hogan, yeah, he wasn't. But if you compare him to a lot of other guys after him, he was a good draw or a decent draw. So it's one of those things where the new generation era definitely gets overlooked. But uh, I, I look about back on it very fondly, and I just love going back watching those shows. They're, I feel like they're always entertaining, and they're a hell of a lot better than anything that's going on today. You could take a one-hour Monday Night Raw from the New Generation era and literally slap it in the first hour of whatever they're putting on TV now, and you would draw a bigger audience than what would the rest of the show would be on a normal Monday or Tuesday or Thursday or Friday night, whenever the hell they do these uh, TV shows now. But maybe that's the beauty of it. And like you said about, so, okay, the houses considerably smaller okay they're going from big arenas to literally glorified high school gyms you know community centers you know uh, amphitheaters uh armories and this is where they're doing mainstream television so the look of it is a lot different than say a saturday night's main event or even a superstars taping but dare say this is where we start to see the athletes get a little bit better. We start to see the the, the work rate on some of the, the the bigger cards get a little bit better. Guys stepping up their game, uh, a big difference. But the machine wasn't there. The merchandise wasn't there. You know, the the advertising wasn't there. We we saw a lot of karate fighters. You know, we saw a lot of uh, off brand merchandise really being pushed heavily. And that has a lot to do with it. But do you think that's why people don't look back at this so fondly? Because it wasn't as merchandise, as advertised, you know, as popular because they're missing Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Rowdy Roddy Piper, you know, Jesse the Body Ventura, Andre the Giant, those key guys being out of it. Do you think that's why people kind of stepped away? For sure. It's one of those things where it's like, man, you had the cream of the crop, some of the best guys of all time, and they got older, or Vince kind of fell out of favor with them, or thought they couldn't draw and make money anymore. Obviously, completely dead wrong on Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage. I mean, you couldn't get any more dead wrong on those two, but you look at it, it's almost like a transition period. It's like, okay, how do we get from he Hogan and this era to another era? It's never going to be as good. It's just not going to match it no matter what you do. Like you said, the merchandise wasn't as good. Obviously, you have to run smaller venues if, if the fans are kind of aren't as, you know, you know, really not going to be there as much and there's not going to be as many fans. So you can't run these big arenas because it looks horrible on TV when you have this huge arena and you only have, you know, a thousand people and it holds 10,000. just looks awful. So you got to go to the smaller places, got to go to the smaller arenas, got to make it TV friendly. You might have to uh, carton off or black off some, some seats and stuff just to, you know, make it look better aesthetically. But I feel like if you take Hogan out of things and he's basically, you know, so many kids, favorite wrestler and growing up and so many you know just so many people just admired him loved him take him out of the equation you take away the toy companies too because they're all they're all like wait a second the cash cow hogan where where is he at like we we're, we want to almost follow where, where the hulkster's going because he's the draw he's the money you know he that's the guy savage with with you know the slim jims and everything else he's so marketable it's like okay you gotta kind of follow where he's going so it's almost like all right you had the steroid trial too which completely I think hurt them and killed them. Yeah. So where do you go from there? You have to put a legit wrestler in there like Bret Hart. You have to have like kind of these huge monsters that maybe not really lacking in charisma, but they're just not 
star power crazy like i don't know like, like the hulkster or, or macho man or piper or jesse's body those guys i mean so you get you bring in the monsters that aren't steroid guys but they're huge and they're kind of freak shows they're not going to be a, as well as of a draw as those kind of golden era guys so i don't know it's one of those things where they're transitioning off from a high point you have to kind of taper it off a little bit i guess you didn't want it to die off completely but it definitely went downhill for sure. And I feel like a lot of the toy companies and a lot of the marketing and a lot of that stuff was almost harder to come by just because, okay, M Bret Hart's marketable to a point, but he's not Hulk Hogan. Right. Yeah. We didn't see many diesel squirt heads. You know, we didn't see, uh, you know, the, uh, the Shawn Michaels beach towels, you know, or the, the sleeping bags with, uh, you know, the undertaker on it. That stuff wasn't around like it was a few years ago with even ultimate warrior who I, you know, I said savage over warrior, but you know, Savage is still in there for a good almost two years of the, the beginning of the new generation. And, and talking about Survivor Series teams last week, I dare say he got the biggest pop of anybody in the Survivor Series new generation years when he was a surprise partner at the 93 Survivor Series. But Piper has a cameo in 94. Obviously, Savage is there. Hogan has his little cameo in 93. So these guys are still kind of there. But just the whole machine decided to kind of dissipate. And whether it was a steroid trial or what, that, that remains to be, uh, you know, kind of explored. So now, where do you kind of pinpoint the beginning of the new generation? I think it's the kickoff for Monday Night Raw. Others have said uh, maybe when Hogan leaves after King of the Ring, maybe when Brett beats Flair at the end of 92. Where do you kind of fall in that discussion? For me, it's when Hogan leaves. I know, obviously, he'll do that European tour and he'll sell out right. and do very well over that tour. But it's really, to me, right after King of the Ring or right at King of the Ring when it's kind of the end of Hulkamania. That's when I start the new generation era because he's not really, I mean, I guess people could say he's a part of it. He's not really a part of that new generation. He's a part of that last kind of bygone era where you're going into the new era. I know 92 was a little bit of a down year and obviously heading into 93, it's going to become a little bit of a down year, but I always equate it with King of the Ring onward because, um, Hogan is really can't be a part of the new generation era in my mind. So I feel like King of the Ring, as soon as he loses to Yoko forward, is the new generation period, notwithstanding the European tour, of course. Right. And of course, weeks later after uh, King of the Ring would be the 4th of July body slam challenge. Lex Luger stems Yozuna. He becomes the, you know, de facto super duper baby face. He's obviously the one they want to push. He's the guy they want to make the next Hulk Hogan. And on the July 24th edition of Superstars, they run a, a debut vignette of a guy who, at that point, I can say I never heard of, and Ludwig Borga, portrayed by Tony Holm, who had a pretty uh, significant fighting background prior to joining the World Wrestling Federation. But he debuts as a just a, a foreign sounding, a little bit of an accent guy running down America, running down what the American dream is, running down what America looks like and starting to target Lex Luger, who's on his way to challenging Yokozuna, who's the world champion at that point. So you watch these vignettes back and it's kind of hard to decipher this guy as a heel because what he's saying is very true. So that's the first thing that kind of stands out. But what's your first impression of seeing Ludwig Borga? Soon as I saw him, literally fell in love with the guy i was like man look at this guy he's a monster i love kind of what he's saying because i always like the heel so it's like i love what this guy is saying as he's walking down you know shithole in like detroit michigan or you know wherever he's walking cutting cutting the, the vignettes and the promos real so you're like man i i love this guy love the haircut love the look 
loved the size. I mean, he's a friggin' monster. So about 265 pounds and just ripped and shredded. And, and I loved the accent, obviously legit accent. I, I love the way he was speaking. I love the way he kept the promo. I love the way he was hating on America. It was just something that resonated with me. And I really liked what he was saying. I just, I was like, man, this guy comes off as star power, star quality. One of those guys, which is kind of rare for me anyway, in wrestling is like, as soon as you see the guy, it's like, okay, this guy is upper card. This guy's main eventer. This guy is here to play just judging by the first time I saw him. Yeah, he's coming into the company. He's 31 years old, so he's wrestled in, in other parts of uh, the country, wrestled in the UWF a little bit. Um, I, like I said, I didn't know who he was right off the bat. Obviously, as the years have gone by, I've learned so much more about him. But like you said, exactly what you said is what I thought, the way he just stood out, the way he looked. And if you want to look with a modern fan's eye, if you see him on a side profile with the haircut and everything, he looks like Brock Lesnar. <laughs> he's built like him. He's jacked. Yeah. And you could say, wow, this guy looks like he could be Brock Lesnar's uh, stunt dub. Obviously, Lesnar's, you know, as wide as a freaking house. But he looks that much like him physically compared to, you know, wrestlers now. But those promos are so impactful because when you listen to the words, instead of just saying, oh, this is a heel running down America, blah, blah, blah. He's really telling some truths. And at the time, it's kind of hard to be rooting for Lex Luger when you might believe more of the stuff the, the heel is saying. Do you think he came off a little too real for this new generation era? And a guy who, you know, an era that was starting to get a little more cartoony, he was a real serious ass character. It's funny because I guess he does fit because of the look. It's almost like he's literally like drawn out of a cartoon like he's a comic book character or something like a big big time villain of like superman or something so he kind yeah, of you fits, can see him but... in spider-man or something like he could be yeah. like kingpin's henchman <laughs> but as far as like what he was doing and saying and being real probably didn't fit as far as kind of his narrative it's almost like wow like look at all these other guys you know being like doink and being cartoony and and all this other nonsense like this guy is kind of uh <laughs> he's kind of like an asshole but he's kind of being very very uh, serious about it and i don't know to me he just came off legit but like in that era it's almost like wow this guy's not fooling around all these other guys are kind of jokey and and doing doing this and doing that it's like this guy is uh he's gonna come and just kill people he's gonna be a monster he would literally be like the snowflake crusher today if they were to if he if he was to be alive and be around he would literally be the snowflakes most hated wrestler because i mean he literally he's that believable with every word that he says that he gets you to kind of agree and i mean and whether or not those were written for him or, or thought off the top of his head i mean they're so well uh dialogued you know, it just it, it's it's very convincing. Uh, but we saw those freaks. You know, we saw those uh, popping in and out of television. We saw them, you know, uh, playing before and after, you know, some babyface matches. And eventually he would debut on television and he would have a match at SummerSlam 93. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but when he gets on TV and he's beating guys up and he's really destroying them, uh, the squash matches being what they were at the time, uh, is he automatically in your eye geared for that main event or is this somebody you think is just going to be a squash machine we're gonna see him every week beating everybody you think he's getting ready for a, a huge push as soon as i saw him i was like this guy's got to be headed towards luger i mean obviously he's trash talking and stuff but he's got to be headed towards that main event level um 
just a great kind of i know it's like a different style and maybe some people didn't like him but he was great in new japan pro wrestling for what it was i mean he's not like uh you know he's not going to be like the best or anything he's not going to be like muda or or even like uh scott norton or something where, where you know he's real strong style he adapts really well to that style but he was good for what he was and, and i loved his look i loved how stiff he was um he really kind of was making a name for himself with that right hand and those awesome punches you could tell like okay this guy's got a boxing background this guy is a legit fighter this guy can legit do some damage so i don't know i love those squash matches i thought it was getting re- him ready for the main event now to step back one little iota and, and kind of ask you where did you know him beforehand do you remember seeing him prior to the wwf debut no not when i was that young no um after the fact i um, was you know looking him up and years years later and discovering tapes and tape trading and stuff and you see like oh shit Ludwig borg tony helm oh my god like shit this guy was in new japan pro wrestling look at that oh he's a former iwgp tag team champion so then you kind of found out at that time i was like who the hell is this guy where did he come from i just thought okay he definitely has a legit fighting backer and you just didn't know where he was because at that point obviously the internet is in his infancy 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 and we didn't really have access to it for right. a few years after that so i didn't know him at that time but i was like god damn i like this guy the only reason i say that is because the two tv or the two last matches he had before he debuted for the wwf are like uh john pa's uh you know dream matches uh written up uh on paper his, uh, his next-to-last match in Japan was the IWGP tag title match, the Hellraisers defeating Bobby Eaton and, and Tony Holm. Uh, if, if, like I said, a John Paz match, if I ever saw one. And then uh, his last match is teaming with the Barbarian against John Tenta and Haku. So, again, <laughs> I mean, these knockdown, drag-out, you know, tough guy fights before he, uh, he goes to the, the WWF was complete opposite. I love it, though, because he fits in with those new Japan guys and that style. And I know that last match is for the war promotion, but he just fits in with that Japanese strong style being stiff. And I I know, I just really thought that he kind of, if if you look back, like he epitomized like that style and no wonder he had, you know, like a nice two year plus run in a new Japan pro wrestling. Cause I could see them absolutely just not even just the bookers, but I could see the crowd falling in love with him. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and weeks later, he's finally so he's debuting for the WWF. They taped the shows, uh, you know, weeks in advance. So he's debuting uh, in July. Uh, and, and like I said, at SummerSlam, he faces Marty Jannetty. But you kind of see how they're testing him while they're at these TV tapings because he's got two matches with Virgil and he's got one with PJ Walker. So they're putting him in with guys he knows that that Vince knows he can you know test him and see how good he he works with these you know, guys that'll make him shine on the way to a guy like Marty Jannetty, who's going to make him look like a monster. Absolutely. Yes. And all those guys know what they're doing in the ring to make the guy look as good as he can look. I mean, they're not going to be doing anything crazy. So PJ ultimate, like trustworthy guy. And of course, Virgil, I know people will probably laugh, but he's a good guy to have in there as far as name quality power and the fact that he'll make the guy look good. So, I feel like perfect opponents for him. It's and Janetti, of course, too. And the reason I say the Virgil thing is because the modern day fan is going to say, Oh, that's what a joke Virgil. Oh, he's an idiot, blah, blah, blah. But he was kind of the test. The guys that they would, those, those, those big heels as they were rising the ranks, look at all of them, Sid, Yokozuna, they all face Virgil on their way up because Virgil is such an established star. 
once you beat Virgil, you kind of were, you know, you were you were almost on your way to being a, a super duper heel. But the reason I pointed out is because they have one match on television and then they have a dark match afterwards. So obviously they saw something that maybe needed a little bit of work. They put him back out there. And then he gets ready for Marty Jannetty, who, you know, we know is a bump machine is going to fly all over the ring. He's going to do the little twisty uh, sell job on a clothesline and make him literally look like a million bucks on the same show where Lex Luger, you know, it, it, the, the big obviously didn't win the world title, but the big celebration at the end. There's the American hero. Yes, I love the fact that they didn't go all the way with Luger and completely <laughs> like blew it. Uh, if you're going to do that. And you're going to give him that big push and the Lex Express and all this other stuff, you know, and have obviously heels just gunning for him and talking about him and stuff. So it's like he's the center of attention, just like Hogan was, just like Dusty was in the NWA. It's like all these guys are going to mention and talk about him. Okay, you got to win the title. You got to be Yoko. But he wins on count out. Then he's so excited that he wins on count out. Everyone jumps in the <laughs> ring and they have confetti. I mean, it, very, very lame, uh, very bad finish. Um, just a complete utter mistake. If you're going to do it and maybe Luger's not the guy still, you got to give him the title at that point and see what he could do and, and how he could run with it. Cause you're doing Lex Express. You're spending thousands of dollars on this bus tour and pushing him and everything else. And maybe that gimmick didn't really fit him. And maybe he is more like the narcissist or maybe he really is a, you know, heel at heart. And maybe he didn't like people too much at that point. But if you're going to do this Lex Express thing, you got to go all the way with it. And then he'd be the champion. And then, you know, he could have rematches with Yoko or he could have this feud with Borga. But you can't have him not win the title at that point. That was so lame. Yeah, it's so lame. I mean, and it literally took the wind right out of the sails. And even though he would still be the main event focused guy up until WrestleMania, you know, he it just it wasn't the same that it was for those two months of build on the bus and the Lex Express and all the uh, the craziness that went along with that. But that show, SummerSlam 93, you know, I know you've talked about it at length with Dr. Tom, you know, and going back and, and watching parts of it. I mean, that building was so electric that night that it, it kind of makes the, the show exciting still when you watch it because the crowd was so good and they got to see a nice, you know, fresh heel come in, beat an established baby face. And literally it's wrestling one on one. Yes, absolutely. And Dr. Tom has a great story about Ludwig Borga. Dr. Tom is very sarcastic. So, <laughs> of course, Borga, you know, he probably doesn't know how to take certain things. So he says to uh, Borga, hey, that's a nice haircut. I wish I could pull it off. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think I really need a haircut. I'm thinking about getting it. It's a good, good look or something. And he keeps walking. And Borga stops him and he says, hey, <laughs> It's just so funny because I could picture him saying like, hey, um, <laughs> if you're um, if you're not a pussy, you can ha you know afford to have the haircut. <laughs> Basically saying Dr. Tom is a pussy and he wouldn't handle it with the haircut. So <laughs> Dr. Tom's like, wait a second. Wait, what? And then he, he said he just kept walking. He goes, I didn't know how to take it. I didn't know if he was ripping me, calling me a pussy or saying that. You know, he's so tough. That's why he has that haircut. But I just think that's great. He's like, uh, well, if you aren't a pussy, maybe you can get that haircut. So it's like, wait a second. Is he? But, but you know, what are you going to do? You're going to get again. If I would lose a Borg, he'd probably kill you. So <laughs> he just said he kept walking, but he really didn't know how to take it. He said sometimes Borg, it was actually very funny and sarcastic, but he said he didn't know if he was basically, you know, ripping him or being, you know, just joking around with him, being sarcastic. 
Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a I could exactly see the the way it was phrased, and uh, yeah, that's a weird way to take it. But we've also heard, you know, we talked to Jacques Rougeau five years ago, and he said, you know, Ludwig Borga wasn't really the easiest guy to deal with backstage, and they had some issues. So I could see, you know, maybe that Finnish, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> accent uh, getting him into trouble because some of these guys might not be able to kind of translate, uh, you know, that attitude that he might have had. Yes. Then that's a big thing with him that a lot of people were saying that very cocky, um, you know, very, obviously he's got a great look, so he's kind of very just confident in himself, but in the back, you got to be you know respectful and, and not talk back. And apparently he had a bit of an attitude problem, which um, I guess was a big problem as far as just the rest of the locker room, rest of the wrestlers, and probably would probably leak to Vince as well. And doesn't help when they're in the middle of basically, you know, backing off Lex Luger at the same time, this guy who they were building for Luger is not really making friends. And the next time we'd really see them kind of build for any kind of big show was the survivor series. And as we get on the road from SummerSlam to survivor series, which for us old people, that was a big long time between he's still in the middle of squash matches. He's beating job guys every single week. But how about this randomly in the midst of all the job matches, there's a dark match Lex Luger and Randy Savage defeat Ludwig Borga and Yokozuna via countdown. Now, how come that was never on TV? Yeah, but I think it was during a raw taping too, wasn't yes. it? So it's like it's like, wow, what the hell? Imagine putting that on TV would have got a nice little, you know, popped a nice little rating. I'm sure. Very weird. I guess maybe they didn't want Borga to lose on TV I, at that point. I just, I don't know. That's one of the things where it's like, wow, that's an awesome match. They should definitely have put that somewhere. Very strange. And then again, back to a couple job matches leading to what I guess would be his marquee thing that he did in his WWF run. And that is he ends the undefeated streak of Tatanka, which when you look back at that, it ain't really that impressive uh, in retrospect. I mean, I love the character of Tatanka, but the way he was undefeated for that long, it wasn't really too impressive. He wasn't a champion. You know, he, he, he never really had too many mainstream, you know, feuds. He had Bigelow, you know, and he would have uh, Bam Bam eventually, but uh, he gets to, he gets beat by Borga and to the point where they use the old narcissist trick of pinning him with one finger <laughs> and ending the streak of Tatanka prior to the Survivor Series and taking him out of the Survivor Series. So I would say that would probably be the marquee Borga moment if we were to look back at that. Yes, and I love that. That was so great, so cocky. You know, he's just going to, I'm just going to put my one finger. Obviously, got some help from Yokozuna. Yes. But very, very uh, cocky. I loved it. I thought that was great. Now, what do you think of that foreign fanatics team on paper before it got switched? So originally Quebecers, uh, Borga and Yoko. What do you think about that as a Survivor Series team? I love that team. It's like all basically uh, two monsters and, and an awesome tag team. And obviously Crush would replace PCO, but Correct. Uh, which would make it three monsters in Jacques Rougeau. So uh, kind of an underrated team looking back. It's actually pretty damn good. It's it's awesome. And that's a great, uh, you know, I, that's a great build to that Survivor Series. Undertaker gets uh, put into the match at one point to replace Tatanka. So they really, you know, they, they jazz it up. Everybody remembers the classic uh, pay-per-view cover, the video cover where, you know, Luger, the Steiners and uh, Undertaker have the, you know, the forks and knives. They're eating the turkey. Um, but this is where it kind of changes. And on the road to Survivor Series, now they have paired Luger, Luger and Borga together on the house shows. And Luger's beaten Borga. And it's not really clear on if all of them were DQ or not. But now he's losing on the house shows. And again, there must have been something that they didn't really like because this match never made it to television. 
But nonetheless, they're working together basically every night, and they really never went anywhere with it. Very interesting that they would do that. But of course, you know, as a fan, you would have no idea that Borger was losing every night in house shows unless you actually went to the house shows right. to Luger. But I feel like, and I've asked you know, a bunch of wrestlers this, like, why do you drop some of these guys out on house show matches, but then they stand defeated on TV? Like, what's the reasoning? It's like basically an attitude test. Are you going to be jobbing? How do they take it uh, before? How do they take it during? How do they take it afterwards? So it's like, they get the news in the locker room. Let's see how they react. They're like testing you basically um, and seeing how your attitude is. And if you care about jobbing, don't care about jobbing, have an issue, um, you know, make a stink or, you know, get, get in a fight or whatever they want to see. Then they want to see how you actually do the job. Then afterwards, they want to see how you react after the fact and then even going into the next town. So it's almost like a test. So I feel like because he had so much backstage heat, because he had so many um, problems, he had so much attitude issues that they were testing him and and I and I wanted to and I bet Vince wanted to see how he re- would react losing every night. Here's why you know it was a test. He literally lost to him all across the world. Los Angeles, California, Tel Aviv, Israel, Portugal, Germany, uh uh Madison Square Garden, the Baltimore Civic Arena, uh the Joe Louis Arena, the Nassau Coliseum, the Maple Leaf Gardens, uh uh Market Square Arena in Indianapolis, uh literally Richfield, Ohio, every big spot the WWF would go to would see Luger defeat Borga. And that's going to humble you because those are literally every major city that they could possibly go to at that point that the WWF is still relevant in. You know, you're not going to the sea towns outside of, you know, uh, Sheboygan anymore. These are the main shows that they're having a main event every night and he's losing to Luger. And yeah, if it's a test, that's a hell of a test because those are the those are the spots that the fans are going to remember. I feel like it, it was definitely a, a test, and who the heck knows if he passed or failed it, but I think that you probably would think that he maybe didn't care about losing or jobbing, but he had such an attitude problem that they were probably like, all right, well, let's just mess with him or let's just have him keep losing. And obviously, you know, they're, they're still pushing Luger because he's eventually going to win the Royal Rumble and eventually get a, a title shot at WrestleMania against Yoko, but I feel like the Borga experiment, I guess they're kind of souring on him really yeah. too. Um but you heard so many stories about how he rubbed this guy the wrong way and that guy the wrong way. And he just didn't care because you know, if you want to fight, he'll fight you. So there was definitely issues with him um, backstage. And I think that losing to Luger was definitely a way of kind of trying to humble him. But I don't know if it really worked. Yeah. And we're only in November. So they, that's just to show you how little the time it was. Just kind of funny to point out in between all these house show matches with Luger. He beats Chaz Ware, a.k.a. Headbanger Mosh, and he meets he beats Mike Bucci <laughs> on Monday Night Raw. Just funny to see those established guys uh, back in the uh, the enhancement days. It shows uh, you how long that they were around for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, especially, uh, you know, uh, Chaz. I mean, he, him and um, and Glenn Ruth go back to, you know, 91, 92 uh, doing jobs on WWF TV. Also, Scott Taylor, can't forget him. He's in there as well. Um, but again, we're back on the house shows. It's Luger and Borga every night, and Luger's beating him every single night. And then randomly, they put him against Razor Ramon in an intercontinental title match on a, on a show in Lowell, Massachusetts, which is that very small uh, arena. So maybe seeing if he can work with Scott Hall, what Scott Hall could do with him. But if it only lasted one match, I'm sure it wasn't very good. 
And it's one of those things where it's like, why is he fighting for the IC title too? Right. It's like a step down, uh, perceived step down. I know obviously Ramon is kind of the gatekeeper and obviously upper mid card to mid or main event, really upper mid card to main event type guy. Um, but yeah, IC title is kind of, you would think beneath him because he was basically going to be headed towards the main event. Now the vignettes have stopped at this point. We're not seeing any more promos. He's not running down America. He's not saying anything that he was saying six months ago. It's gotten very quiet to the point where I had even forgotten. And I remember this very clearly that he was even around. And I remember hearing, uh, I believe it was like on Z100 or K-Rock or something, a promo for WrestleMania 10 tickets going on sale. And his, his voice pops in and says, this is Ludwig Borga. You know, they say, this is Lex Luger. This is Razor Ramon. And I remember going, oh, Ludwig Borga. Where the hell has he been? Because outside of the house shows, he's not doing much towards the tail end of his run, which guess what? As we enter 1994, he's still facing Luger on the house shows. There's a couple tag matches thrown in Luger and Tatanka against Borga and Yokozuna, uh, a few flag matches thrown in. But guess what? As we get to uh, January 17th, 1994, and the match <laughs> Ludwig Borga against Rick Steiner ending in a double countdown on a house show, that's it. Pretty crazy if you think about like how he kind of just gets phased out. So it shows you Vince could just fall out of favor with a guy just like that and they're gone. But if they have bad attitude or something or, or if they're just not liked, that'll just quicken that. That'll get to Vince and he'll really just fall out of favor. And it seemed like that's what happened with Borga because if you look back, there was some thought that he might be the main event of WrestleMania 10. It's like, right. man, this guy was going to get this big push. Where the hell is he for the Royal Rumble? There was just so much thought about him. Obviously, he had a, a bad foot injury, an ankle injury uh, with that Rick Steiner match. And right. it was just like, all right, let's just cut our ties with him and just never bring him back. But if you think about it, it's like, man, like he would have been pretty good as, as far as just being a part of WrestleMania 10. I guess the main event was not going to happen because he had just too many losses in a row. But it seemed like when they did that, with when the guy was working so much with one guy that was going to be the match at a big show like they would work everywhere they would do all these house shows together just like he did with luger and it's like okay then you guys are ready for tv we perfected the match is exactly how it's going to go down we practiced it you know la um, boston new york we practice it everywhere let's do the match on tv you think that's the kind of just the way they're going to do it but it looked like with borga he wasn't being used on TV, so that was never in the cards, but it would have been awesome to have him part of WrestleMania 10. Yeah, it's almost kind of reminiscent of Flair and Hogan, which they did those in all major cities. And obviously, you know, those are two of the biggest stars in the history of the business. But still, just the matches didn't translate and it didn't really move the needle and they didn't really like like what they were seeing. And that was not the WrestleMania 8 main event like it had expected to have been. So it's kind of reminiscent of it that they had two marquee names they wanted to push, but they just weren't able to get it on paper. Maybe, you know what? I mean, maybe if that match, that tag team match, it could have been on television in September. Maybe that's a different story. You know, looking back, if there was one little movement they could have made, maybe we would have seen him in a bigger spot and eh, maybe it would have changed perception. But if he's having problems backstage and then he hurts his ankle, maybe it is best to just cut your ties because then right after that, so all the way into September. So he's out of action from uh, January to uh, September where he reappears in the UWF in their blackjack brawl uh, <laughs> taking on Bob Orton jr. He's billed as Finland Thor. That would be a five minute match that goes to a double DQ. Uh, and then he doesn't really wrestle for about two years, but I mean, what a weird, 
1994 starts and ends for Ludwig Borga. Pretty uh, unfortunate if you, you, know, you think about it, because for me, I just thought like, wow, this is just a monster heel that's going to go through uh, everybody. Possible, you know, maybe not exactly WWF champion, but it's possible that he could get that kind of run and head towards the top of the card. It would have been nice, but I guess it was just never to be. The backstage stuff, you always hear that was like the, the big part of the problem with him, and that was just kind of the icing on the cake, and I guess if you're not going to have the type of match that they want you to have with Razor Ramon, that's going to hurt big time. And obviously that's going to get back from the agents to Vince. It's like, okay, can't even work with Razor. Uh, okay. You know, the, let's cut this guy's legs off. So I don't know he's, he's one of the guys I just look back so fondly. I loved him. I thought that he should have got a big time push bigger than he did. And it was kind of like survivor series 93 when he, him and Luger get to the finals of the main event and he gets pinned. That was kind of like, okay, I guess that's it. There's nothing more planned for him because that's kind of like, where do they go from here? He, he already lost. He lost to Luger. Like that was supposed to be the big thing. And I feel like at that point, it's like, okay, let's just run this guy out and let's see what, what, what we could do with him. What do we have with him? Cause he didn't really do much after that. Yeah. I mean, he goes to uh, the catch wrestling association, you know, one of our uh, old favorite promotions to look back at. He beats sniper <laughs> who we would know from the truth commission, who was Rambo at the time becomes their world champion. He is billed as Ludwig Borger, which I'm sure that was probably not uh, looked at very fondly uh, by intellectual property lawyers. And, uh, that's basically it for his wrestling career. And he would go on to have, you know, I now you would know this better than me. So did he fight after the wrestling days very long or did he kind of retire altogether? And then eventually we know he got into politics, but how long did his fight career last after wrestling? So his fight career actually doesn't really last that long. I mean, he doesn't really have that many MMA fights. And I got a couple of good uh, MMA stories on him, which, which are just like uh, fantastic. It's just because it's like nuts, but his, <laughs> his, his real fight career, if you think about it, he only has about five or so MMA fights and they really only last about three years, but so he really kind of doesn't do much with MMA, but he had the skill set, not wrestling wise. So if you got him down, cause he fought Randy Couture and Couture kills him. But if you watch Couture knows do not let this guy punch me because he'll knock me out. So he immediately goes for the takedown, takes him down and, and submits him. But the thing is, he thought he was like unsubmittable. He thought there's no way this guy's going to beat me. Um, but the problem is he never trained for the fight. He was supposed to train. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, and, and his manager is actually Rick Bassman, who we, we know very well. Uh -huh. And he, we do the talking oh, yeah. top. He was his manager. And he said, listen, you got to start training. These guys are going to kill you. And he laughed it off. Like, yeah, okay. He goes, I'm, I'm a monster. I'm a killer. It doesn't matter if you're a monster or a killer. If you don't train and you kind of take MMA as a joke, it's kind of going to be the guy with the technique. And at this point, one of the guys who lost to Randy Couture, who's arguably one of the best ever. It's like, okay, this guy's got technique. Who gives a shit about your power? He could just negate it, take you down, wrestle you and submit you. And, and, and UFC um, back in 1997, he basically loses. And <laughs> I'd say a minute, maybe slightly less than a minute because of a submission. He gets him down, takes him down, gets him in a rear naked choke. He kind of doesn't know what he's doing because he wasn't trained. So it was one of those things. It's like, man, he could have been something. He just didn't give two shits. Too cocky, uh, too just too kind of like a muscle bound idiot almost. Like he just <laughs> thought he was better than he was, and and I'm sure 
if you go to the weight room, I'm sure he would destroy everybody. And, and I know he's got the, the great boxing background. He's a former um, Finnish, if you will, Finland boxing champion. And he had a nice little run boxing wise. He was definitely a good fighter. But, you know, that doesn't equate a lot to MMA because once the guy takes you down, you need to be able to get back up if you don't have a ground game. So it's kind of, and at that point, too, a lot of those guys were one-dimensional fighters. So he was definitely a one-dimensional fighter. But you just throw in the fact that he wasn't training and took it as a joke. Oh, man, it's like uh, if you only kind of took it more seriously. And then obviously, you know, his look is so great that he gets in the acting world and he's in Die Hard 3 and, and all in different movies and stuff. But... He definitely could have been a great fighter. It's one of those things where even the guys who trained him or were supposed to train him were like, man, this guy's got a lot of tools. Let's see what we can do with him. And he just didn't give two shits. It's crazy. And who would have thought that this guy would have a political career afterwards? And Mm -hmm. obviously, very uh, very short into his political career, he would kind of turn some heads by calling the uh, the president of uh, Finland a lesbian. (laughs) And he's the great quote. He said, "If a lesbian can be president, then he can be in parliament." (laughs) So you probably shouldn't say that if you're going to be somewhat of a respectable politician. But I'm sure he just used his intimidation to get elected. So it probably worked out best for him. And the thing about him is he is like legit tough guy, but it's one of those things. It's like, okay, not all guys that have a certain look are are like legit tough, but this guy had the look and apparently was legit tough, but knew it. So he almost didn't care. It's one of those things where he almost got too big for his britches. He got too cocky. Uh, He thought he was the man at WWF and that, you know, they kind of tried to humble him and knock him down a peg. Um, he could have maybe trained and got better at wrestling, but you know, he kind of is what it is. And that style that he had is what it is, but he could have been, I mean, he was a boxing champion. So you can't say he kept him much better, but he could have been a great MMA fighter. If, if maybe he's trained because he had the tools, but he just didn't care. And, his thing before his MMA fights, he'd find a girl, uh, he'd bring her back to the hotel room, he'd go to have sex with her, you know, they're having sex, but he wouldn't complete, he wouldn't go to completion, and he'd get so cranky and so fed up, that was his way of, of preparing for the fight. So I was like, this guy does not take anything seriously, like, that cannot be the proper way to function and get ready to fight. So he was so... uh bent up and you know he you know, blue balls if you will and he was <laughs> he's just so kind of like cranky and mad he thought like oh I'll, i'm gonna be so mad that'll get me prepared well what if couture takes you down oh no i'm, I'm gonna be so wound up there's no way it's gonna happen this little guy oh he can't do anything like uh, like you gotta be able to take stuff seriously and i feel like maybe that was uh, a big part of his downfall for especially in mma but probably in wwf too that could be the most unorthodox fighting preparation I've ever mm-hmm. heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never heard of that before or since, but I I found that out about him. I was like, that is so weird. Like, what a nut like to, to do that. And really just like that's how he got going for the fight and get and he would be so cranky and pissed off and like, all right, let's go, let's fight. And that's not even the best way to fight either. You want to be relaxed, you want to know what you're doing. If you get into trouble, you you need to be able to think your way out of it and think through. You can't be mad. So I don't know. It's one of those like weird stories like, man, this guy is something else. (laughs) I think next time I go to negotiate my next car deal, I'm gonna do that and go in really angry and just uh not take any guff from the salesman. Yes. Hey, you gotta do it. (laughs) 
actually a, a, an interesting kind of thought for him. I don't know where the hell he got that from, but uh, man, he's just, he's a character you could say. And there's another great story and Scott Norton says it was a cheap shot, but it just shows you his punching power because Norton has a, has a chin. is one of the toughest guys ever. He's a strong ass guy. Um, I guess it took him a few punches, but he clean knocked out uh, Scott Norton in Japan wow. at a bar. Um, Norton says he cheap shotted him, I guess, three times and knocked him out. But just to think of the punching power to be able to knock out Norton is pretty damn impressive. Cheap shot or not, just kind of you just got to think like, wow, he's probably uh, got some power in that right hand. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's crazy. And again, you know, like you said, he looked exactly the part. And, uh, you know, whether or not uh, some things translated to different worlds that he was in, you know, he still left his mark. So give it a grade. His short time in the WWF, June, basically the end of June, early July to January 94. Where where do you give it? Let's go instead of a grade. Let's go one to ten. Where do you give it out of ten? Just because I love him so much, I'll just give him a seven just because the potential was there. The vignettes. The promos, that right hand, the look. I uh, just liked his theme song was awesome. Yes. <laughs> just so many things were like in line and in place. And, and that point too, he fit right in with those big monster heels. Like, okay, like, you know, the Crush and the Okazunas of the world and and Mabel's and these big monsters. Like, he just fit in with those big dudes. And I thought like he could do more. I thought the potential was there. I just loved him. I always liked him. I loved his Hasbro. Uh, I just thought he had a great look and you know, just didn't pan out. So I'll, I'll give him, I mean, it really should be less, but just because I like them so much, I'll give him a seven out of 10. And the short run, I guess you could say six month run, could have been longer, could have been yeah. better. But the man from uh, Helsinki was definitely a favorite of mine. And, it, and you know what? We didn't say it, but he was supposed to fight Earthquake at WrestleMania 10. And, you know, two guys with a with a background of international uh, competition, I'm sure it could have been cool. But, you know, Earthquake was kind of in, a, in an odd spot, too, when he came back in 94. So, I mean, if that's what on paper it could have been, I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a fall from grace when you think he was being built for Luger. But I would kind of agree with you almost in the seven column because those vignettes, I mean, you literally could put them on any wrestling show now and he'd be the top heel in the business without a doubt because it's still that modern the only thing not modern about those those vignettes is his his wardrobe <laughs> that's yeah. the only yep. very 90s <laughs> and i feel like with earthquake i bet they would have job them out too it's like oh god you know yeah because adam bob he gets yeah, adam he, bob he, quick he job, watches yeah. adam bob in like 10 seconds yep but obviously, you know, he uh, with his the way his his life ended. Obviously, he definitely had some uh, yes. some problems for sure. So you know, you can't. I don't want to say anything too bad, but he definitely had some problems. Yes. So re- rest in peace, Ludwig Borga. Uh, if you read about his backstory, it's very it's very out there. He had a lot of demons at the end of his life. Um, but nonetheless, he left his mark on the new generation, and that's the only era we care about on this show. So we leave it at that. Anything that happened afterwards, even that fight, technically in the UFC, it didn't even occur in this universe. So it's it's fine. It's a uh, it's all good. But uh, appreciate you spending the time tonight here, bud. Uh, you know, obviously you're, we're listening to this on the TMPT feed. But please, you know, uh, in case anybody didn't listen uh, yesterday or the day before, uh, you know, where can they find anything going on in your world? You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip, and of course our website TMPTEmpire.com. You can find out all the latest and greatest, and there will be a new show debuting this week as well at the end of the week the business of the business so definitely a different uh, side of things that we've probably never covered before 
and I feel like it's something that uh, I think people will enjoy. I think it'll be fun. It's uh, nothing too crazy, nothing that um, you know you've you've really heard before or, or really kind of expanded on before. But I think it's a really cool thing. So the business of the business with Lavi Margolin who did the Trump mania podcast. So it's a lot of fun and he has a lot of research and stuff. And I feel like the business side of things of wrestling are becoming more and more popular. Yeah. It's so many weird things about wrestling that are popular in a time where it's really not being watched as much as it used to be. And some fans leave and don't come back, but still the little nuances have a huge spotlight on them. And that's obviously, you know, can't miss uh, audio for sure. Uh, so obviously, yeah, tmptempire.com. That's where you get all the podcasts, Dr. Tom, the interviews, New Generation Declassified, and now the business of the business. Uh, so stay tuned for that. If you want to follow me, it's at Chad EMB on Twitter and Instagram. And, you know, look, it's a mini reunion of sorts. Uh, it's great to uh, to be back on the airwaves yet again. Uh, so usually I throw it to a little two man power trip of wrestling business, but we already did that. So it's time to say goodbye. So for, uh, my, my two man power trip of wrestling brother, JP, this is the Chadster and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.